0: All right,
1: we're recording them. Recording now? Recording. Episode 31? Yeah. We'll cross the 30 barrier, bro. Hmm. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Alpha Counseling. Alpha Counseling is the largest and most respected provider for justice-involved clients in need of sexual offense-specific treatment services. You can be confident that the treatment you will receive with Alpha will help you keep you out of the criminal justice system all Alpha clinical professionals are trained and certified in cognitive behavioral interventions for sex offending, an evidence-based program for strategies for avoiding sexual offending and related behaviors. Anything else about Alpha other than that, that we're awesome? You know, that covers it. Yeah, I think so. Should we get started with episode
0: 31? I say we do it. Let's do it. Now. Okay, now ding, ding, we're live. Almost Stress live. reduction. Almost live. We're live. It's not live, but streaming. We're straight, going
1: streaming straight to YouTube mm. in our new in our new studio, yeah. our Salt Lake studio. Salt Lake right. <laughs> by the nursery. Switch <laughs> location. <laughs> not by not by not that, but plants. Yeah, plant nursery. Why do they call it a nursery? I don't know. It's really weird. Never understood that. What? Yeah, but what else would it be called? All I've ever known it is as, as a nursery. Like, what would you call it? It's called it a greenhouse.
0: Well, it's not the only... I guess he has greenhouses oh. over there. I, yeah, always, I always like when he has a sign up there that it just says pansies, like huge. <laughs> it's just it's talking like he's trash. <laughs> I, love he, I
1: love he only sells pansies, though. Just yeah. The, pan, the pounds, pansy outlet of America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called? Maybe someone knows. But A, n- a, a nursery. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I know that like when they're like little baby seedlings or whatever <laughs> they like grow them up and all that
0: but <laughs> <laughs> clearly we're not in the loop yeah, like, don't you grow like, up the plants in there or something oh that's a loop i don't want to be in though yeah. so dude like like
2: three idiots talking about like remedial botany <laughs> concepts <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> baby seedlings and <laughs> still
1: though you could pick a better name for the place where you're the nursery those things yeah, yeah yeah like i mean i don't know plant house It just plant place it always made me like who picked these names along the way of these things you know what I mean like a like who came up with words (laughs) yeah well not (laughs) not words not words but like I'm just saying like a a plant nursery like if you just said I need to go to the nursery people could interpret that so many different ways you know you know what I mean well I guess only two but (laughs) but still the options are endless well right but I mean I'm it's just open for misinterpret. Not, not to mention too. Like somehow flowers got a good rap. Like if you think about flowers, they all got really good names. Like pansy. Except for pansy, that's not good. That's not bad though. It's kind of, of an bad. insult. Pansy's all right, or daffodils, or tulips. What What would or be good Rose? about being called a pansy though? Yeah. Well, nothing. The rest of them, your argument holds up, but pansy, it doesn't. But imagine there's probably
0: some stupid flower names though.
1: <laughs> if, imagine though, if you just so like. That's kind of when it comes down to like STDs is who came up with the name for STDs because no STD sounds
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, hold like, on, there's one here. I was just looking, not not STD, <laughs> yeah. but I typed up uh, stupid plant names. There's one called monkey face orchid.
1: Yeah, but even then though, so monkey an orchid sounds okay, but if you're saying like that plant, okay. The, Like, name an STD, uh, the name of an STD that rolls off the tongue. If you didn't know that word, like, it would sound nice. Gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. That's not, and no, you couldn't call a plant a gonorrhea. The corpse flower.
0: That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Or chlamydia. (laughs) Herpes. Here's one that's
0: awesome. Hooker's lips. (laughs) But hooker's they kind of kind of do. Look at that. Wait, is that a plant or an STD? Yeah, both. both. <laughs> <laughs> when you get the STD, it turns into this plant. That's what I'm saying. You could just uh,
1: do... lips. And people would be so ashamed of STDs if they just gave them better names. The marketing strategy for STDs was bad. Like if
0: they had one managed. that's just called... You get one that's just called Courage. <laughs>
1: Caught some courage over the weekend. Uh, courage oh, under sucks, fire. Sucks, man. Just have to disclose
0: that to you because it burns. Yeah. This
1: conversation stressing me out. Well, maybe we should go into some ways to reduce that stress, Mace. Ho ho! Look at that segue. Holla. Look at that segue, son. Well, what are we talking about today? Stress reduction. So, stress is obviously
2: ubiquitous. It it's. Like a Ooh, what's a that? Word. What does that or, word mean?
0: It's, it's is that somewhere. a fl- is that a flower? Yeah, it's widespread. It's a ubiquitous
1: plant. It's I got, got those... I've got ubiquitous <laughs> in my nether regions. Yeah, I picked up some <laughs> ubiquitous from those hooker... off the street. I, yeah. I picked up ubiquitous from those hooker lips. It's <laughs> <laughs> laced with something too. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: What does ubiquitous mean, Jeff? Well, uh, the non-STD <laughs> definition is it means it's everywhere, widespread. Uh, that
0: could be an STD. Yeah. All right.
2: So it actually is <laughs> <fits>. an STD. <laughs> yeah.
1: So stress is, everybody deals with stress, is what you're saying. Just like STDs. My bad. Right, well, well right. <laughs> speak for yourself, <laughs> yeah. Playboy. Come on. Yeah.
0: You know what they say? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, what do they say? <laughs> yeah, you know what they say? It's horrible. Fool me once. Fool me once. I still got AIDS. <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. I'm not stress. Yeah. Stress. Back to stress. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, what were you saying, Jeff, before I so rudely interrupted you? Oh, just
2: uh, everybody deals with it. And it's kind of this weird idea of like stress reduction. You know, stress, I guess, I guess something that I like to talk about with clients is letting them know that stress is actually an adaptive response. And that if not for stress, uh, humans would have died out a long time ago. And so usually I'll go into talking about, you know, our distant ancestors, you know, 200,000 years ago on the, on the, you know, the Serengeti, you know, if they, <laughs> if, they didn't, if they heard like a rustle in the bushes and they didn't feel stress, they just went about their daily business. You know, if the rustle happened to be nothing, they're good to go. If the rustle happened to be a tiger, their
0: lunch. So, what if it was Russell Westbrook, who was in the bushes? That, <laughs> who is 200, 200, he's a basketball player? player? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could have been. Well,
1: do you have your timeline straight? Were there people on the and Garrett Getty 200,000 years yeah, ago? I
2: think that 350,000 years ago is how... Um. Uh, I just, I was I'm pretty sure
1: I'm right. There's probably some archaeologists or paleontologists like God, these guys. You know, you know, if they're not Russell after or... us for our botany knowledge yet or <laughs> STD,
2: like <laughs> they'll get me on the anthropology. Yeah. No, it's uh, but like people by and large developed a stress response. And it's a it's a survival based thing. So, again, like if you were more likely to attribute. Uh, the rustle in the bushes to being a negative thing, which is what gets us to, we feel stress. We, we run. And if we were correct that the threat in the bushes was a predator, we live. If we're wrong that the threat in the, uh, that the rustle in the bushes is just the wind, we still live. So stress ends up being an adaptive response. And I try to kind of let the clients know that to, to normalize, stress as being something that you're not going to avoid it. It's just your body telling you that something in your outside or inside world, for that matter, is in need of changing or modifying. So it's about adapting to that stress, using it as an indicator. Yeah, it's functional. It's functional, yeah. Yeah. And for them to look at it that way rather than as an absolute negative. It feels negative, but it's really just telling you that maybe you need to change something.
1: So you're, So your normalization of that is really an attempt to kind of just – I guess for them to say that, well, everybody deals with this in one way, or, and, and if I, the simplest solution to that is I, if I change my belief system about what stress actually is, I might not think it's that big of a deal. Whereas exactly. if I'm experiencing stress and, and I've already categorized this in my mind as this is a bad thing, well, if I, if I categorize a bad thing, I'm going to react to it poorly. I'm going to react to it badly. I want exactly. to get rid of it. Yeah, of course. No. Your mind is hardwired to kind of get rid of some of those things. Yeah, it's it's definitely. A, I think for any of our clients who are one way or another involved in the criminal justice system, whether that's addicted to alcohol or drugs, or having sexual behavior problems, I think I think life can be stressful. And when it comes to something like sexual gratification, mood altering drugs, that certainly can. I mean, I I think I think it's also important to be honest with them and say that can temporarily reduce the level of stress that they experience as a result of like what's going on around them but likewise when that that effect wears off i think sometimes even they feel even more stress after that's kind of happened i mean do you guys notice that because our problems compound well i i think that at this point you're just treating symptoms right i mean if you think about when I experience stress, I try to look at that myself, and I say, "Well, I, I, I think I, I feel like it's almost kind of like if it's almost stress or anxiety or whatever. It's like I kind of feel butterflies in my stomach, but they're like butterflies with razor blades, I guess. <laughs> if I wanted to explain them in a in a way, because it's not a like a butterfly is like I'm going on a roller coaster type thing. It's like I'm I'm worried about something that I can't, I don't have a ready solution for, and I don't like feeling that way. Well, the simple, i mean, if I worry about paying a bill, I pay that bill, and then I don't worry. Right. There's a functional purpose behind that worry. Yes. If I'm stressing for the sake of stressing, I—I I guess the problem with that is—is is I don't really—I don't get re- really any resolution. I just now, if I just treat the symptoms of that, if I get—if I get high, yeah, my stress is going to go away temporarily, but the problem that led to that stress in the first place still exists. I haven't done anything to solve that problem, so. I think they offer temporary relief from symptoms but it's not treating the problem which is not an effective way to deal with it.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and just to expand on your idea of the natural impulse to treat the symptom. So like drugs and pornography are maybe the most obvious things that come up in treatment, but I mean there's like uh, people d- use avoidance with stress for a lot of different things they they'll use, I know I know that I get really hungry. When I'm stressed, and I'll I'll put down the worst kinds of foods for me, and it make and it feels really good in the moment. But again, it's just the same thing that uh, drugs provide. It's that temporary release, um, you know, various distractions. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that distractions don't have their place, but but again, it doesn't address the original concern of okay, well, what what's driving this stress? Okay, I have this bill to
0: pay. Well, is it a, a distraction or am I avoiding it? Like, I All think right. there's a difference there. Like maybe sometimes I need a break, but if I'm just doing things just to avoid it, and like Mace was saying, yeah, it's probably just getting worse too. So I, I look at it like I talk about this in my groups, like going between short-term payoff versus long sustained payoff. Like I think of, oh, I don't want to pay this bill because I don't have money. That stresses me out, so I don't pay it. But in the long term, I'm stressing more about the bill and more that I can't pay it or more than I needed to get my treatment assignment done. So what happens in the long term, I actually ended up having more stress because of how I handled it in the short term.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, and maybe to add to what you're saying, so that if you have a bill to pay and it's stressing you out and, you know, you're saying like the the natural negative impulse is to get it off your mind, not pay it, you know, focus on something else, maybe buy something out of the $5 DVD bin, get even more problems. It's like when, when you're stressed, your decision making goes to shit. You know, and and again, I think that just to maybe call back to what I was saying with stress being an adaptive response, um, a, a lot of our listeners are already aware of like the fight or flight response. But one thing, the way I explain it to clients is, you know, again, the the whole idea of the rustle in the bushes and the tiger and whatever. When when that happens, our body reacts to get away from the problem or fight it. And so, you know, our pupils dilate to allow in more sunlight so we can see our surroundings, our muscles fill with red blood cells and adrenaline so that we can fight and have oxygenated uh, blood to our muscles. You know, uh, these types of things happen to to help us fight things off. And so stress back in the day was very much survival based. So either the tiger ate you or it didn't, but things were probably decided in less than a minute. You know, either, either you got away or you didn't. And then your body would return to baseline. The stress is no longer there. You're, you know, off you go. Like contemporary stress, we don't have as many life threatening things. There's not, you know, tigers in the bushes waiting for us, but we have these things like a mortgage or, you know, a probation officer, an 18 month treatment program, these, you know, problems with your spouse, loved ones that, they, those don't fall into the same category as a tiger trying to eat you, but your, your body may be on a lower level will still react to it physiologically the same. So you're getting like a low level fight or flight response. And the problem with that is even though your body is equipped to fight or run the, thinking portion of your brain, the cerebral cortex is dimmed a bit. And so you're thinking with limbic system, you're thinking with a part of your brain that governs survival and emotions is sandwiched in there somewhere. And, and so if you're, if you're looking for a stress reduction, when you're keyed up with the fight or flight response, uh, you're you're going to go towards the thing that feels good right now. A lot of times and contemporary stress is, you know, like with a tiger, 15 seconds, it's decided either your lunch or you get away. Modern day stress, it's extended over time, months. You know, the bill doesn't go away. You pay it and there it is again next month, that same damn bill, your mortgage, you know? And, and, and so we have this, it's not as heightened as a fight or flight response, but it's this low level, constant grinding of, of, uh, Dampened physiological stress response, but it doesn't go away. It persists and sticks there. So again, like helping clients see that they're still just reacting, and that their decision making goes to crap um, when they're when they're if they're not addressing the stress. It, I think it helps them see why they might go towards the instant gratification option rather than the smart option.
1: Well, it makes your brain does it doesn't seem like your brain would work very well if both of those components of your brain were going at full speed at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, if it, so if a tiger jumps out of the bushes and you try to have a conversation with it to calm it down, like, of course, that's not, that's not in our best interest. It doesn't seem to fit with survival. So, so do you think instead though, that there certainly are times that it calls for that? I mean, if, if I'm, if I'm, if my life is being threatened, the tiger is a good example because it's an extreme example, but sometimes clients will be stressed out for, um, inordinate reasons. In other words, it's a misinterpretation of the, of the danger of the event. So I'm experiencing stress or anxiety or whatever it is as a result of these things. But it's, but I'm doing the result of that is because it's a misinterpretation of what's really going on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, the one thing is, is I don't, I don't, I mean, if I think about the disease model when it comes to medical treatment and sometimes comparing this to physical health is sometimes helpful when you, when you talk about behavioral health, I mean, with physical health, if I was only treating symptoms, I mean, we would be screwed. So if I went into a doctor with a broken arm and I said, Hey doc, I got a broken arm. And he said, all right. And he gave me some pain meds. Okay, well, my pain's going to go away, but then, I mean, what about my arm, right? Well, of course, doctors don't do that, but if they were only chasing symptoms, they would never resolve the, the underlying issue. So that arm needs to be set. It needs to get a cast on it. it probably need to get some antibiotics and some pain meds to kind of, you know, take care of the symptoms. So symptom management isn't awful, especially if, because my, my concern is on that, if what we're saying is true, the clients, is, uh, the clients that we work with, um, if I'm experiencing stress, I'm also not thinking clearly, but we're asking them to do two things at the same time. So wouldn't a management of those symptoms initially be worthwhile and then go into, well, I'm going to think this through and come up with a plausible solution to curb the underlying problem? Yeah, absolutely. So how do you do that without being unhealthy though? Like, So, so if drugs take care of symptoms temporarily eating unhealthy foods take care of symptoms temporarily how do we deal with that in a way that that uh how do we deal with that in a way that doesn't require unhealthy habits to then relieve symptoms
2: i think cbiso again if you cbiso is so, cognitive behavioral interventions for sex offenders it's the so just the, cognitive behavioral interventions in general right yeah any kind of cbt is is gonna help? There's there's specific skills that are taught as part of the curriculum that we go through that maybe helps you focus in on the source of your stress. Help helps you understand maybe the the exact emotion that you're feeling, and then sort of like once you've put a label on it and developed an understanding about it, there's well there's a few different stress based or stress reduction cure-alls coping skills, things that take, maybe take the intensity down a little bit offered up in the curriculum. And then there's obviously some that I'm sure each of us have our own examples of things that we teach clients or even do ourselves to, to deal with that stress. You know, I, but I, I do think step number one, um, if, if our goal is to temper cope with the symptom temporarily to take, you know, to take it down a few notches, the intensity, and then, tackle the problem leading to the stress if, if we're going to agree that that's the best approach which i do uh, identifying the source of the stress i think is 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 kind of step number 1 i mean and and again if we want to jump into what coping skills we use uh that i mean uh, is that what you want to do should we just go into what, how we teach clients to cope with stress the different tactics different
1: ideas i guess i guess it would depend um on I mean, I guess it would depend on, on what the stress is because the one thing is is I think it's important for the clients to understand, anybody understand the difference between stress and stressors, right? So like a, a stressor is just something in the world that makes de- a demand on a person, okay? So in other words, a stressor is just an event, a person, a law, a rule, a, a request that requires me to react to it in one way or another, right? And there's, if you think about stressors, there's, there's basically three different types. So frustrations, pressures, and conflicts is typically how they get broken down. Okay, so frustrations, pressures, and, and conflicts. So stress is, so a stressor isn't the same thing as, uh, as stress. Stress is an internal reaction to the demand of the stressor. So for example, if a person is expected to be at a meeting at a very specific time, that expectation is a stressor, right. right? So there's pressure on me to be able to attend that. Well, if the person feels a need to meet the demand, he or she will feel a little bit of stress because if I'm I'm supposed to be at that meeting in time, I feel pressure, I should try to make it there on time, right? Not every stressor, however, will, will cause the same level of stress in every person. So for some people, they get really frustrated with, it's, it always makes me laugh. You ever you ever meet those dudes that are like, uh, you're on time when you're 10 minutes early. And I'm like, well, yeah. well okay, so <laughs> do you want me to be here 10 minutes early? No, I want you to be here at 5, which means you need to be here at 4.50. I'm like, do you want me to be here at 4.50? <laughs> well, then you need to be here at 4.40. Like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's like that's like if you set your – I love like how people will do that. Like you set your clock ahead 15 minutes and somehow you think that's going to – but you know that you did that. Oh yeah. So it's like, yeah. No, it's fifteen minutes fast. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, yeah. If you know, then why have you Defeats done that? You dummy? <laughs> so I, yeah. I those, those are situations I think that everybody that just gives the idea that everybody interprets something like time and time management and the pressure associated with that differently. And the question then is, is okay, so so can I can I first w- dial in of whether or not this person's interpreting this incorrectly. And if they are, that's when we would need to invoke some sort of behavioral or coping technique because what we, we don't want, we don't, again, we're not just treating symptoms. We just want their perception of that event to be accurate, right? An accurate ordinate response. And then they'll respond to it accordingly. So we don't want to get rid of it. I don't want people to miss appointments by coping. I want them to make their appointments. I just want their interpretation of the pressure Associated with having to be to a meeting appropriate for the situation,
2: and I think that is achieved if I'm following you by helping them turn down the volume on how intense they're experiencing the stress. Sure, they're they're going to be more rational if they can dial it from an eight down to a three through any number of stress reduction techniques, and then yeah, proceeding to solve the problem at a three. You're going to be more rational than when you're when you're keyed up at an eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, mean, I guess we could. I mean, it's like one of those things. We do we turn this into the the type of podcast where we just name things we have clients do? I mean, we could. I mean, I I'm always a big fan of teaching them how to structure and
1: organize their schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I well that so why in so why would you start there though? Like instead, so instead of saying okay. Um, we can talk about an emotional regulation technique and the appropriate way to do that. We can give them a simple one, which I think is worthwhile. Mm. But that's actually an excellent starting point. I mean, for you guys, if you, what a simple conversation to have is: Do you have a structured schedule and are you following it? I mean, why why start there versus anywhere else? Well, I I think
2: it minimizes chaos. It provides order.
0: Does that keep dropping down? That mic? Yeah. All right, I'll fix it.
1: No, that's fine. I, I can hold it like this. But Jeff sucks hour. at his microphones. He always has, always will. What am I doing wrong here? I'm sitting here. Well, innocent. First and foremost, you're a
2: ginger. So. <laughs> <laughs> M- mics don't like the ginger. <laughs> okay. Oh, are thanks. we fixed yeah, now? I, All right. Yeah, just it tones down the chaos and provides order. And I think that. If things are a little more predictable, again, that's what I think a schedule does is it, it makes things more predictable and it shows you priorities. It shows you timelines if things are due. And again, keeps you from that obnoxious deal to where like, you know, you know, you have some task to accomplish, but you can't quite remember what it is. So again, I, I really try to get clients that are allowed to have a smartphone uh, just, you know, get them up and going with the whole Google calendar idea and really getting them to structure things. And it, it, it seems the more they structure, the more they get done. But again, I think the, the orderliness and lack of chaos and predictability, um, just from getting used to structuring a schedule makes their overall ability to cope with stress a little, little more enhanced.
0: Well, yeah. Cause think of the way that life works. It's not like, as you turn into an adult, you have no no schedule, just nothing, and everything's handed to you. And they say, "Okay, organize it the best." Now you set it up for how it works at the time, and then things fall off. Things get added, and usually you start to add things just where it fits at the time, but then it just gets out of control. So sometimes I, I like that because it's if I'm recognizing I'm stressed, what did I what do I do first off just to organize everything? That might by itself make things a lot easier. So maybe I look at it as maybe I don't have one big glaring thing that's a stress. Maybe it's just a combination of a bunch of little things that are just kind of off. Or harder to do, so maybe if I look at my schedule and I can streamline things, okay, there's a little breathing room, just making things easier on myself.
2: Exactly, and I, I think it's it's the same concept, but getting them to do the same thing around the house, right? Mm. I I know that when I go come home from work, and you know, there's not there's not a pile of dishes in the in the sink, and there's not crap everywhere. I naturally just feel a little bit better and I, I know that I'm not alone in that. When I, when I've talked about this, lots of people seem to feel better just overall in dealing with stress, whatever it may be, if their living environment is clean. So it's yeah. structure and order in keeping time and, um, management of schedule and also keeping a clean living environment that's ordered again, structure, just, uh, Less chaos, more predictability, less stress overall as
0: as far as like a starting point. Well, then also, like, so let's say my goal is, okay, I want to start keeping my house cleaner. Am I making it so it's easier due to my schedule, whatever, my habits – Easy as possible to keep the house clean. Like, what if what if I look at my schedule and the only time I have to clean is at the end of a sixteen-hour shift every day? Like, what are the odds I'm going to come home and clean? Probably not. Probably not great. Yeah. So I maybe need to rework some things or change up my habits as far as maybe cleaning the dishes as I use them, or maybe it's over the weekend I get caught up. But I think it's also, what kind of structure do I set up? What kind of system do I set up that makes this? goal or this habit most likely like that i'll follow through with it as opposed to trying to cram it in somewhere where i just know at that like right now as i'm planning it that sounds awesome but at the end of the day when i'm done it's like i'm not gonna do it and which is okay to admit but it's just saying for me it just doesn't work in this spot i've got to find a different way to set it up or i've got to find a different place or time to do this when i'm when i know i'm going to be more likely to follow through yeah that's that's
2: huge the but what you just said it that finding the time when they're most likely to do a given task when, so it, it I mean, I, I'll, I'll give that advice when people are asking me for like exercise advice and, you know, like when the, when is the best time of day to work out, and, you know, and people will say, well, in the morning, cause your testosterone levels are higher, or, you know, in the evening cause of this, it's like well, whenever you're most likely to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where structuring and scheduling and, and, to the best of your ability around when you're most motivated, but but by and large, it's like when are you most likely to do it? So if you're if if we're doing and people don't I don't think people put a lot of thought into well when am I going to do the dishes? Because it's 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 like one of those things that's pretty low down the priority. Yeah, list. it's but easy if, to put off. It's easy to put off. But if you can do take a page out of your book with what you're saying is like, okay, well, you know that you're gonna feel better when the dishes aren't piling high in the sink. When are you most likely and most motivated to actually uh, put it away, and if they can, ask, if they can put just a little bit of thought to that, just enough to be able to come up with a time and date, um, and that they can stick to. Uh, again, it does help out with the bigger issues, the bigger overall stressors. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and think about what you're doing there. That's a pretty elegant solution to what we're saying, because you're just you're scheduling when you're going to experience the pressure to resolve that that task or whatever it is. Mm. So if it's the dishes, I'm not, I'm not foregoing it forever or just saying i'm going to get around to it i've actually said yeah this is something i deserve to feel a little bit of of pressure to do but i'm not going to let myself experience pressure to do this now um i'm going to experience the pressure to do this later on so we know that i mean stress can come from pressures from that you know force any of us to uh achieve specific goals by speeding the speeding up working harder changing the way we do something we all know that's exactly what we're saying here and it and people who are in treatment i think they don't only have like external pressures from like family and friends to get better quickly you know because they want them back to square get out of prison get out of programming get you know this and but they also receive pressure from um from us from their therapists like hey you need to be you need to be reducing risk. You need to be demonstrating clean time. You need to demonstrate clean UAs. And so I think that anytime that we can organize that pressure, it's better for them. So if I have a UA, you know, if I have a UA that I have to go to, okay, when am I doing that UA? Um, you know, when's the best time to do that? Well, I really worry about that when I get off work because I come there and, and I just don't have enough time to get, okay, you, is that necessary that you do it at that time or can we organize that at a different time for you to go and submit that UA is there a better time to do that it is pressure for sure can you organize that pressure that's more amenable so you can resolve that pressure and not let it kind of consume you because if it comes to the point where you know i i don't even i can't even resolve it that's where we have a problem so i think scheduling is a really elegant and simple solution sometimes easier said than done because mm-hmm. sometimes it's so overwhelming that people can't even get, get get that taken care of but it seems like a pretty simple solution if you just commit to it in the first place
2: awesome what do
1: you do um and that i just think i just think i i think informing clients pressure can be good or bad Mm. um you know it (laughs) i mean it's always making me think like uh like peer pressure when i think about peer pressure it's not really you know my friends for the most part might say hey come over and if i'm telling them i'm doing good i i pretty well trust my friends that they say eh, they're not going to offer me any drugs or anything <laughs> but but if i'm there i'm watching them do it then i i mean i'm still pressuring myself to do some of these things so again am i mismanaging my time such that i'm experiencing more pressure or less pressure is really what i want to know okay so that, that because that's going to cause a lot of those a lot of the situations where i'm going to experience that so i think organization of schedules like Justin was saying, I'm not going to not do the dishes. I'm just going to do the dishes on Friday at 4 p.m. That's when I'm going to do the dishes. That's so, when I'm going to worry about it. So mm-hmm. when you
2: say mismanaging your time, like a is it, is it is it kind of the idea there. You, you mentioned you know if uh, if I'm around friends that are using, the longer I'm around them, the you know the that's more time in front of the stressor, more time with the stressor, having a chance to. Uh, break me down, whatever it is. And so, you know finding ways to, well,
1: so I guess if you're talking about managing your time. I I guess I didn't articulate that very well. I'm saying that, okay, if I go go to my friend's house and I'm watching them get high or get loaded, maybe they want to invite me to do that or maybe I'm just pressuring myself while I'm sitting there, right? That's pressure. But I can also get pressure from people just encouraging me to do good things so if it's my wife encouraging me to do you know um, th- to do the dishes or it's pressure from uh, my, you know my my boyfriend to mow the lawn or whatever it is whatever whoever i'm talking about they're pressuring me well those aren't bad things they're still pressure though right they're still pressuring me to do those those things one situation though if i get high that's likely to cause more stress over time in mm-hmm. the future right While the other, if it means I'm going to do the dishes, or maybe I have a sober friend who's encouraging me to go to a meeting, or you know, let's carpool to therapy or whatever, that will probably reduce stress in the end. So when I'm saying managing time, look, pressure is inevitable. You're going to experience it when you're in treatment, no matter what. The question is, can I can I alter my schedule such that the pressure that I'm feeling is recovery-oriented pressure, pressure to go to a session, pressure to go to Uh, meeting pressure to you know those those are good pressure of course you feel pressure well everybody feels that but can i can i gear that in a way that's more amenable to my treatment that's not going to cause more stress down the line yeah that's awesome the so i think that conversation is good um with them i the other thing is is i think giving them a pretty good understanding of how stress affects the brain overall too like that's a i mean because it's stress is a huge player when it comes to addiction and specifically when it comes to relapse and really any type of compulsive behavioral problems so if i have that compulsive Mm -hmm. side to me that's uh that's just something that i need to be aware of because so so the the stress the 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 stress it's like uh it's called corticotrip and releasing factor you guys ever say that is that a band from CRF? the yeah, nineties? Like yeah. yeah, they uh, opened up for Crystal Method. Yeah, yeah, they opened for Crystal Method. And then Crystal Method comes out and plays all Tiesto songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, so whenever we experience chronic or severe stress, that CRF is is released at a higher rate, and what ends up happening is that it actually starts to um make our brain really unable to interpret pleasure at this at that point you guys so there's a concept there's a kind of a a type of thing called anhedonia which is like the absence of pleasure some people call it pleasure deafness and the person is just no longer able to derive normal pleasure from things that have been pleasurable in the past now this is and what's it from well so so i want to be clear this is only when i'm using maybe a uh uh uh, an, an illicit substance or sexual gratification you know like uh as so i mean if you think about illegal drugs are easy to understand but if you think about sex right or or even masturbation for that matter like what's the purpose of sex between you know a man and a husband and wife what's the purpose of sex I mean, I guess you could say procreation, you could say enhancing the relationship, pleasure. Okay. You know, so so what I didn't hear you say, though, was managing stress. Oh, right. Right? So if it, if it's, we're doing this as an expression of our love for one another, we're doing this as an enhancement of the relationship, and we're doing this just for pleasure. Okay. Then you're doing it right. If you think about the use of masturbation, why do people masturbate? Well, if the purpose of masturbation is just deriving pleasure from yourself, have at it. You're doing it correctly. If you're using that as a method of coping with stress, I'm going to say you're doing it wrong. Dang it! <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, because basically what you're t- what you're teaching your brain is is that when I'm stressed, then I'm going to active. I'm gonna I'm gonna manipulate brain chemistry to release dopamine, but it's done inappropriately. It's done at a time when dopamine would not normally mm. be released. Kind of like misassigning it, right? Yeah. So, if, so if I go to di- so if Makes I go to sense. right, so if I go to Disneyland you should experience dopamine surges. If I get a job promotion, you should experience dopamine surges. If my kids do well in school, yep, you should experience dopamine surges. Those those are normal, right? But so we all, our ability to experience that pleasure relies on what's called a hedonic set point. So you guys know, a set, another set point easy to understand that is not so favorable is like uh, 98.6, right? That's not, a radio station but that's that's our that's our normal body temperature right 98.6 degrees mm-hmm. okay so what about 98 degrees the yeah they're band. pretty good so yeah, 98 degrees band. if you listen to 98 degrees <laughs> ninety eight point six is the sequel it's the it's the it's the one-off band just point 0.6 just <laughs> stupidest ass name <laughs> i'd probably go see them though yeah, yeah i would, I would. Oh uh, yeah, ninety degrees is the worst band ever. So if I if I have um, if I so if I if my temperature goes to one hundred and three degrees, what do we call that? Fever. But what what's that fever in response to? Cowbell. A cowbell. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Trying to fight off something, right? Yeah, Yeah. right. So something has
1: come in there and said, "Okay, you you know, your whatever your immune system response is is out of whack." So we're gonna, you know, increase this fever, and you notice it. I mean, you can totally feel the difference if you have a fever. We feel like crap. We we can't even sometimes even operate very well. We got to stay home. All the rest of it, right? So we have a pleasure threshold, and that's that's kind of our hedonic set point. And hedonic hedonism, you kind of get the idea. Our ability to experience pleasure requires that the dopamine surge that we have goes beyond that pleasure threshold. Hmm. Well, the problem goes like this: so it, every time that I'm doing that in an in inappropriate response, in other words, I'm experiencing stress. So my brain is releasing this CRF thing, which is kind of saying, "Okay, hey, something's going wrong. Pay, it, you know, this is, this is something you need to pay attention to, resolve this." And instead, I release dopamine as a result of that, but I'm not doing it authentically, Mm -hmm. manipulating brain chemistry. Well, what that does is your brain's like, wait a minute, we we can't operate like that because if we operated like that, when would we know that something's stressful going back to your thing? When would we know that this is a survival component that we really need to resolve in our life? So then your brain resets that set point. It says, okay, well, this isn't right. I got to reset this because this is fabricated dopamine levels. I got to resets it higher then resets it higher. Yeah. And it requires more drugs or more sexual stimulation right. to reach that threshold. So now I, now I, so every time I do that, I'm increasing that and I'm requiring, requiring riskier and riskier behaviors over hmm. time, which then, so things like Disneyland, draw promotion, kids doing well, those no, no longer apply. I don't experience pleasure for those any longer. And I have to engage in some, you know, way outlandish, kind of ramp be- it yeah, up. way outlandish behavior in order to be able to do that. So those old pleasures don't show up. So, th- so, I, again, I, I think that when you're teaching a client, that that kind of goes back to the idea. When I'm dealing with stress, the answer to the original question was, well, do I need to manage those symptoms somewhat? Yeah, you do, but not by trying to increase dopamine. So it's not by me going and getting, you know, five guys and dealing with it that way because Five Guys feels awesome in my mouth, you oh, know, yeah. tastes awesome and it releases dopamine <laughs> for sure. Well. And, well,
0: come on now. You're talking about the burger restaurant, right? <laughs> <laughs> you say Five Guys feels awesome in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Just clarify, yeah.
1: Yes. Five Guys, Burgers, Burgers, and Fries. And fries. Not, not burgers. Five Dudes. Yeah. yeah. yeah not five Dudes those behind those the five dumpster. Dudes feel good in your mouth, bro. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. that's a good point. Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I'm not really again I'm not I'm not really dealing with uh stress appropriately. So yes, stress is going to be uncomfortable I think getting to the point where I'm going to accept that. And then y- yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy is tough because it's kind of a crap in and crap out system. If I don't relieve the symptoms that come from stress, then the thoughts that go into that system are going to be crap. Oh, yeah. Then the behaviors that are going to to come out of that are crap too. So if I have such an emotional attachment to the event um, or a stressful response to the event, then yes, you do need to calm yourself down so you can think clearly to resolve this. But when you think about emotional regulation techniques, they're not nearly as sexy as five guys in my mouth or (laughs) well and they don't
0: work right away yeah Yeah. right and
1: and the and i would never tell a client yep you're gonna feel good if you think about it on the Mm -hmm. on the spectrum of i feel shitty i use cocaine i feel good that's a guarantee every time Mm -hmm. our techniques are i feel shitty you use an emotional regulation technique is i feel a little less shitty that's about as good as it's gonna get right Mm -hmm. that's about as good as it's gonna get to the degree that you can think a little bit better and then resolve it. And Dude, that's I, our goal.
2: I think it helps them when you actually do explain it that way. Because what happens is if a client expects the coping technique to match the bump of coke that they did, they're going to get disappointed in it and, and throw it out pretty quick. you mm-hmm. know. And when you're like, you know what, this uh, – I mean, I th- Mace, I actually think – I got this from you when you were talking about the behavior chain a long time ago. I guarantee it. It it said that, you know, doing the behavior chain, it'll, you you know, it does a bunch of things. But in terms of helping deal with stress, it won't make you feel good. The first one you do, the first five you do, the first 10 you do. Maybe after three months of continued practice and constantly, you know, being vigilant about these things, it might start to make a difference. And in the long term, it'll make a profound difference. But it takes having the discipline to stick with it and to do it over time, knowing that you're not going to get that, uh, that big bump in
1: pleasure that you would off a, off a maladaptive coping. Right. Exactly. So, so when it comes to like emotional regulation, so if I, again, this is not a technique that if you're if you're interpreting a stressor and experiencing stress in in a regular way in other words you you just solve the problem then that's a signal that you ought not use any of these skills you don't need to use any of these skills the question is and this is easy to pay attention to is ask yourself the question is when i'm stressed out and when i'm dealing with whatever emotions attached to that stress do I usually make poor decisions? Okay. Well, if that's the case, then you need to use an emotional regulation technique. So kind of the foundation of that is we just say, first and foremost, we want you to pay attention to your emotions. In other words, you just have emotional awareness. You're just acknowledging that you are experiencing an emotion, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about that, human beings are really, I think we're we're fortunate enough to experience a range of emotions and categorizing it is really important. So if I experience an emotion, just under just accept the fact that you're experiencing an emotion but the, you know that stupid movie the secret it's like the most awful shit. dude I I hate if you ever talk to anybody about the secret you know and you're like well, I could imagine a million dollars being in my account, and it'll never be there. I'm like, well, see, see, because you you're just put- said that. That's yeah. I'm like, okay, so that's like the same argument for like God. Like, if I say, you know, I quit. Well, you're not seeing the signs, bro. I'm like, okay, okay. Anyway, there was some some guy along the way that was in that show that they did say one thing that I really liked. That emotions are just like alarm bells to pay attention. They're just saying. Mm-hmm. Hey, dummy, something important is happening. That's it, right? Compare that to like a deer, right? A deer has one emotion, fear. And that's all they operate on, which is essential for their survival. So deer, if you like, if you look at deer, they're stressed all the time. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Like, like if you if we were a bunch of deer in a field, it'd be like, Do you hear that? What do you think that was? You think it was a, like everything is we're gonna die. Threat, 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 right? threat. And and naturally, because they're prey, right? So what i would say is emotions regardless of which emotion it is happiness or or excitement or any of those things which we kind of categorize as good those are those are necessary for our survival as well those are 100% necessary for our survival mm-hmm. because it's saying pay attention dummy this is important that's all it's saying right mm-hmm. so the second thing is we want to identify our emotions which is saying what emotion is it and and i don't know this this always turns into a weird conversation i mean i feel like i <laughs> i don't know like Clients are like so. Do I need a thesaurus when I bust this out to have that? I'm like, I don't know. As far as identifying the emotion, yeah, like yeah. I'm wondering stri- strategically. I think as a clinician, I run into the barrier of, well, how do I how do I appropriately label this emotion? And I have some thoughts about that, but I'm wondering how you guys deal with that. So if a client says, "Well, I don't know what it is. I I don't know even know what perplexed means, dude." So I I, <clears throat> I don't go that route. I say sad, mad, glad, scared, or
2: excited, and. Then, like, well, if they can throw out some, some variation in that sad, mad, glad, scared, excited, uh, that then we can start to narrow down more specific complex emotions like perplexed or embarrassed yeah. or you know, whatever those are. So, I, I keep it real simple,
1: yeah. I think the simplest one, the version I've thought about it was I think, okay, so I think like you know, ballparks and universes, right? If I think about like, uh, if I think Okay, I'm angry, right? But dealing with anger is way different than dealing with enraged. If I was enraged, there's a clear difference there. Gotcha. And if I'm angry, well, I can also be frustrated. But frustrated isn't the same as anger. And how I would deal with being frustrated would be different. Well, I can be frustrated, but I can also be irritated, And irritated, I wouldn't deal with that the same way that I deal with that. But I can be irritated, but I can also be annoyed. And how I deal with being annoyed would be different than being irritated. So there's a spectrum there. Coming up with the right word doesn't necessarily require that. I say the spectrum says that these emotions are in the same ballpark, right? We don't want to say they're not in the same universe, like happy and angry. Those are are totally different emotions, right? We know that those are very different emotions. And not categorize them as good or bad. They just are. But anger, I think, okay... Then label it as angry. What I want to know is put that on a scale. Put that on a scale from zero to hundred, and and ask yourself what your threshold is. And say, and I know nobody has this. And nobody has a dial in their brain. I'm saying pick a number and say, eight. If if zero is, and you got to think about it like this: zero is no anger whatsoever. One hundred is the most anger I've ever even imagined. In other words, I've never even been that angry. At what point are you breaking shit? punching somebody in the face saying something that you're going to regret 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 don't regret it <laughs> so if i say 70 is my threshold 70 is your threshold then an emotional regulation skill the objective of that is to get you to a 65 gotcha. you know, that's it i am mean, you're st- yeah. in other words you're still going to be angry you're just going to be angry to the point where you're going to do something dumb and then you can think through this and solve the problem so i think that identifying your emotions is crucial because it then determines how i'm going to do it so then it then the next step is managing your emotions. In other words, how do I cope? But you can't get to three till you've gone through two. So mm-hmm. I have to first say what emotion is it before I pick which emotional regulation which emotional regulation strategy I'm going to use. But that's a pretty simple linear process there. So you get the client to say, I'm feeling
2: anger. I'm I, I know that for me it's dangerous when I hit seventy percent. Right now I'm feeling about seventy percent. That like that then that client's gone through the process of identifying their emotions scaling it so they can get an idea of where it is getting an idea of where it is tells them if they're potentially in danger of acting in a way they're going to regret later and and then it's going into the ways of of coping with it to dampen the intensity of the symptom and once the intensity of the symptom is dampened through a coping skill then you can look towards uh alleviating the whatever the stressor is or problem solving it Correct.
0: Well, yeah, because think of that. If I, let's say I have anxiety or a panic attack at a 10, like the worst I've ever had, and then someone just says, well, let's just sit down and look at your schedule and redo this right now. It's not going to go well. So it might be your anxiety is so high. We got to calm you down first and then go into problem solving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think when you go into
1: using whatever technique it is, I think it's important to have intent of. I'm not gonna. Ha- I'm, it's not going to have the absence of this. It's going mm-hmm. to make it a little less shitty. So, strategies that we kind of talk to them about, and these are simple ones that anybody listening to this can use, and you can use it with your clients as well. So, one we talk about is counting backwards, right? So, that's a really simple technique. It just focuses your mind away from risky thoughts. Now, there's a method to this. So, one of the things we say is choose a number that's above 20 and count slowly backwards from there. And then you stop counting once you feel more relaxed. And one of the things we do, I tell my clients to almost every time is, don't count backwards from 20 down to 1. Count backwards in Mm 3s. And the way I sell this to them is I say, okay, think about when you were a child or if you've talked to a child recently and how stoked they were when they learned to count to 10, right? like you can count to 10 mindlessly it doesn't it's like you're not even using very many brain cells to do that now if you if you force yourself to say okay i'm going to choose the number 24 and i'm going to count backwards in intervals of 3 then what i'm i'm requiring more effort and more focus on that I'm not really doing anything magical i'm just creating mental distance away from the stressor and me doing the counting and that's it. If you if you get down to zero, the stress is going to be away. Of course not. Like it's going to be to the point where I can think through this a little bit easier. And that seems to have a pretty good effect with the clients. I don't know what your guys' experience with counting is. I I pretty well deliver the exact
2: same concept the same way, and I think it's worthwhile going through the effort of explaining all of that because it sounds such like a Mickey Mouse intervention like count backwards that's what i'm paying you for bro like it's like yes and here's why and so i I think explaining the the reason behind it sells that a little bit better to the client to make it make sense and and it does and and same thing with deep breathing you know like it's again it sounds such like an elementary coping skill but when you when you can talk about biofeedback and you know the when you're when you're dealing with a fight or flight response and you take deep breaths. What's actually happening in the brain as you're taking the deep breaths? Like well, I, I think providing that education to the clients gets them to see why mm-hmm. we're having them count backwards by threes with a number higher than twenty, or why we're asking them to take deep breaths, and uh, you know maybe even being mindful of the breath going into the nose, feeling it in your lungs, out through the mouth. You, you explain the reason behind it. It seems, seems like there's better buy-in.
1: Right. I think so, too. I mean, and I don't know. It, it, when you get into those self-control strategies, though, the thing is, is you don't want to railroad yourself only into one, which yeah. is kind of why we want to say, well, let's give you a couple. Because, look, counting isn't the, the solution. It is a solution, right? So another mm. one I think that we introduced to them is is the idea of like having pleasant imagery. Or or visual, or visualization, right? It, like I can say honestly, this has never been one that works very well for me. I me have either. a hard I have a hard time with it, um, and uh, it seems a little hokey to me. But it, it's pretty well encapsulated in, um, uh, or I guess portrayed, I should say, in uh, Fight Club. So where Edward Norton was experiencing really high levels of pain oh, or whatever, yeah. and he would you know uh, go to his you know where what was it a cave with a penguin yeah uh, right or happy gilmore happy gilmore or the, your happy <laughs> place yeah where he goes to his happy place now one one th- yeah so <laughs> He's got so he, even though those those funny things have kind of made their way into you know comedies and pop culture or whatever those, those are really if you can mentally remove yourself from the current situation or mood temporarily that's really what we're going to um the one thing i would say is 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 Make sure that you're imagining like a relaxing place. Um, that's kind of why. When remember when Happy Gilmore is listening to that, and then Shooter comes in, and starts <laughs> like a, his wife making, yeah. that, making out the screen. <laughs> <grandma>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, obviously that made him even more frustrated and more pissed off. So I would say, whatever scene you choose, make sure it doesn't include drugs and alcohol, violence, or any type of sexual behavior. So. I think there was like a midget on a unicycle, carrying like a couple of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah or a little person, I should say. Sorry. Pictures of beer, I think. right? Yeah, right. Uh, Pictures of beer. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. And the thing is, is too, is is pay very particular attention. One thing I might ask clients is, you know, of course, close your eyes. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you smell? What do you taste? And sometimes I'll add a variation to that. I'll ask clients if I'm doing a, a like a, a in session experience. I'll say, "Tell me five things you can see. Mm. Tell me four things you can hear. Tell me three things you can feel. Tell me two things you can smell. Tell me one thing you can taste." And it's it, a lot of mental energy. to If think you go about through all that and you're still wrapped up in this issue as much as you were before, man, like then <laughs> there's well, something wrong there. You're you're doing it you're doing it wrong, obviously. But so, well. Do, do,
2: Briefly run that down again, because there's a, there's a lot of value in what you're talking about as far as tuning into the senses
1: and and doing those grounding
2: techniques. Like,
1: well, so so if I if I just ask them to you know close their eyes and imagine a peaceful scene, yeah, and I would just encourage them, okay, you know, make sure that scene doesn't include any drugs or alcohol or violence or sexual behavior, and I would ask them to describe the scene to me. And then after that, I would say, so I want you to kind of identify all the senses that you experience there. So what what are and, – and on a base level, I might say, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you smell? What do you taste? If If I feel like we need to upgrade that, I would add into there, what are five things you can see? What are four things you can hear? What wow. are three things? And so on and so forth because taste is a one so you keep that at one and smell I keep that at two because the other ones are a little bit more ubiquitous you might say <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that 54321 type example if you can remember that as a clinician then you can do that technique awesome. you can talk them through that and remember it's not going to be the the solution it will get them to a less shitty state of mind that's about it but, but again, that, that creates barriers because, I mean, what, if you're on the assembly line at like, I don't know, some warehouse or something like that, can you just bust out your pleasant imagery and be going through that? Oh, that's why you want to get in with a
2: few different coping oh. skills that they can pick and choose based on the situation. Right. The One of the ones that is super effective, if I can actually talk the clients into doing it, is like 30 seconds, balls to the wall, physical exertion. You know they'll they'll be feeling profoundly different after 30 seconds if they're just doing like as many push-ups or burpees as they could possibly do in 30 seconds. Yeah. Or and punching
1: it, themselves in the ball. That <laughs> one is a oh, really wait. good distraction. Oh, it seems That's like
0: that. that might add more stress. Oh yeah, on. don't do that
1: yeah. one. Self. <laughs> yeah. I was I was I was testing you guys. That would obviously add more stress. You all. Uh, everyone passed. <laughs> I have a
2: hard time talking clients into that one because it sounds so meatheadish, but it works.
1: Well, well, and two, I think they 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 almost always bring up the limitations of that. I don't disagree. I think that as a distraction, I love that. I love that example. Um, but but hard to you know, pull so, off on the fact. What, what you So I'm at a job interview and yeah. I just <laughs> yeah. bust out push-ups. Come on, dude! <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, fair enough. So yeah. Look, yeah. the 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 name of the game here is I, I need to have multiple different techniques, right? Multiple different techniques. I mean, one is simple that people forget is just self-talk,
0: right? Yeah. Just, well, I was just going to say that's usually one of the first ones I start with with clients. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when we get past coping with it, I usually frame it to them as this. How is it actually a good thing that you're this stressed out about it? Why, you- is, why is it good that you're stressed about this? Most of the time on their own, they'll start, well, that's yeah, going to help me. Focus on making more money so I can get into my sessions. It's going to help me focus on – because I know for me I've had to use that. Like why is it good that you're anxious right now? Like, How do you answer that?
2: What? When when you're asking yourself that. I mean is it – are you asking yourself that as just like a reflection on it or is it like you're trying to get them to point out to themselves – that they don't have a rational reason to be stressed. Like well, I no, what
0: no. To so so look at it this way. Like kind of similar to Mace's analogy earlier. Like when I talk about emotions specifically stress or anxiety, I I say think of like a check engine light on a car. Right now you're getting a check engine light and you're treating it like oh I don't like that light. I got to put tape over that or just ignore it. But you're not addressing what's causing that light. Awesome. So in a way like if you feel anxious about You're falling behind at work or you're stressed out because you've been avoiding your spouse or whatever and it's causing problems in the relationship. Don't you think that's good that you don't feel good about that? So this is kind of nudging you to say, yeah, something's off. I got to fix it. Because I think with that, especially stress or anxiety, there's that feeling like Mace was saying pressure. So I feel all this pressure closing in and it just feels worse and worse. Yeah, I will want to get rid of that. But if I can shift my thinking, I feel more empowered about it, actually. So I feel less claustrophobic. I feel less trapped which enables me to do something about it. Because just like we were saying, it's ultra-functional. If I wasn't stressed about some things, it'd be easy just to let everything fall by the wayside and everything would get out of hand. But I wouldn't care. That'd be the problem. If I never felt stressed, uh, I don't care if my bills are all unpaid. So, and I don't care if I get kicked out of my house. You need well, yeah, that. you should be stressed about that.
1: So the stress that they're experiencing is a good indicator that they give a shit about this thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, except for when that check engine light is that. O2 sensor thing like oh my god dude god, that's the worst <laughs> it, and then I, of course you'd make it i don't even worry about it <laughs> like, well wait it wait won't affect <laughs> it well i gotta get
0: it registered so, yeah well just pay me <laughs> well well <laughs> just see the avengers or well i think just like we were talking about why that gets to be so hard is because if we go back to quote unquote caveman times that yeah, the stress would be something's gonna kill me or i haven't eaten like a handful of things where now who knows what is stressing you? I think that's what that's what feels overwhelming is when you feel stressed. Like, man, why am I so stressed? It's not always obvious. It's usually right. like an inventory of – like I know for me when I get really overwhelmed and I stop and take a look, it's usually a bunch of things or like a little out of whack. Like yeah. not one big thing, but it's piling up in the back yeah. of my head, though. I'm definitely feeling it, but it's not obvious. Well, I can feel like, well, everything actually feels all right. When I really stop and look – no, everything's not all right. Nothing's glaringly bad, but there's just a bunch of things that are a little off and they add up.
1: Yeah. So so in other words, the, the stress or the check engine light that you experience is an indication like, well, yeah, have some self-talk prepared for that. Mm. I mean, if the self-talk is as simple as this is important, I need to pay attention to this. Mm. Universally, that would apply, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you don't. You can't find. I mean, we're not talking about like a positive affirmation, you know. Like that's good. It'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it might. Well, maybe it won't if you don't do anything about it. (laughs) Well, right. Like the only thing I have with that is, well, what about legitimate situations that actually do suck? Like Mm -hmm. so. I think that good vibes. Good vibes only, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think if your if your self talk is not generic but just accurate to the degree that, um, you know that this is important, I need to pay attention to this, You know, I, that's, that's at least going to go down a pathway. I mean, whatever, you adapt it from there. Well, is, that's is at least more solution-based, though. It's practical. Yeah. yeah,
0: right. I can use this as opposed to, oh, I'm stressed, I got to get rid of it. Well, that, I'm stuck in that mm-hmm. and because, there, like you said, there's always going to be stress. So if I'm just in the habit of escaping it, right. yeah, that's not going to go well. And I'm, and I'm not going to feel in control of my situation.
1: Well, the self-talk I think you always got to be cautious with. Because it's not like, it's not like the opposite. I mean, so so what's your self talk? I mean, so if you're if you're Jonesing for some coke, you're like, ah, I don't like cocaine. Of course you do. Yeah. If you find a girl attractive, man, she's hot. She's ugly? Like, no, yeah. that's not. It's not the opposite. It's more. It's kind of. I've always said like, well, yeah, I think acknowledge the fact that you're experiencing those thoughts, but include like almost like a but and. Well, yeah, she's hot, but if i if i pursue that then it could cause a lot of problems and i don't want to ruin my current relationship like see what i'm saying like you yeah, you, don't, you don't need to exclude things. the risky thought that you had in the first place yeah some coke could be really nice right now but i've got 170 clean days and i don't want to risk my sobriety you can include it it's it's all you can just i think the self-talk statements when you come up with those kind of replacement thinking don't don't just think the opposite turn that frown upside down oh travel. dude i can't Come stand
0: on. that well especially when you're the one in that mood and someone's <laughs> like like if you're freaking out about some having a panic attack like ah, just don't worry you're like, like
2: oh i never even thought of that thank you so much or like someone gets broken up with like oh there's more fish in this <laughs> oh that's the worst <laughs> no.
0: time heals all wounds so <laughs> yeah. just sit there and be miserable till all of a sudden you're fine <laughs> it, you know the When in Rome, when in Rome, you know, there's other fish.
1: When when in Rome, you'll get a bird in the hand and two in the bush. (laughs) For some reason, I do feel better now. Make you laugh a little.
2: One of the first things we do in this curriculum is we we have the clients identify what their values are Mm -hmm. and we have them you know like rank them they come up with their top 10 values there's there's more to the assignment but by and large the idea is that if they have an idea of what their values are their decision making can kind of be hinged off of that and so with like you know you see the the hot girl at the gym and maybe you've got uh you know you you actually value the relationship you have with your wife or you know that. So again, it's not that she's not hot because that doesn't make sense. It's inaccurate. Yes, she is hot. It's it's that you're remembering what your true value is, and that can kind of help you. Be, I guess be more realistic with it. More well, for practical sure. Practical with what your self talk is.
0: Well, I think and I think that is one of the biggest parts of that. So let's go back to like the Coke analogy. Like, is that would that be fun right now? Yeah, that would. But what would not be fun? Failing my UA and going to jail or going back to prison and not having any fun. So that's what I like about this, especially the the CBISO program, is it's okay to be honest about that stuff. And usually when I'm running my groups and we're starting out like in the first couple modules, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, so we get around to the, the behavior chain. So we're breaking down my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and then positive and negative consequences of those actions. So let's say I was doing that one with their group and I say, okay. What's the positive consequence to doing cocaine? Almost no one will say anything. Right. They're like, no, there's exactly. no, co- there's no. Po- I'm like, yes, there is though. What is it? Or what's the positive to yelling at my spouse? Oh, that's that's just bad. I'm like, no, it does feel good in the moment. Or like, doing cocaine would be fun in the moment. It but then we It takes a move- while to train them that. Yeah, because because so can- there's a reason we do that stuff. Yeah, would it be fun to to ditch work for two weeks straight? Yes, probably would. Would it be fun to not be able to pay my bills? No. It would, it, yeah. That's exactly. a good. That's a good
1: example of an appeal to any therapist who's or or workers for that matter, anybody who works with clients in the criminal justice system. If you're doing any type of forensic stuff, uh, I mean, y- you do have to be open to hearing some things that you completely disagree with, mm-hmm. disagree with on a fundamental level, and that's okay because it it doesn't necessarily imply that they're going to engage in that. That reminds me of a conversation I had with a client. He told me. So he said he got kicked out of another substance abuse program after he had completed the entire thing. And I was like, What do you mean? And he said, Well, I was going through um, I was going through my my relapse prevention plan and one of the questions I thought was a trick question because of the way I answered it, and I was well what's the question? And he said, The question was, how can you guarantee that you'll never use drugs again? So he said, uh, and this was to a judge, he said, I can't guarantee that. What I can guarantee um, is that I will continue to use my coping methods that I've already learned, and I will pay attention to um, risk factors that I haven't, um, you know, already planned for, and adapt my coping methods to those. And I will, I will do that to the best of my ability to prevent a future relapse. Which I thought was—you got booted for that? Yeah, I thought that was a very measured answer. And I thought that was very well thought out. That's how we should answer. Right. And he he said because he couldn't guarantee that that was never going to happen again. Oh. That he was kicked out of the program towards the end. Which sends... So that message to the (laughs) client says, tell me exactly what I want to hear. Otherwise, you're getting booted from the program. I guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) So if he just said that, I mean... So yeah, I think it's okay that they experience some of those things. And I mean, even... Even when it comes to, like, uh, one of the last self-control methods that I think is important to talk about is just taking a break or doing using a distraction. And they might bring up something that, for me, it's not necessarily a distraction that I would want to engage in. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's not antisocial, in other words, it's not causing harm to them or others or breaking laws or rules or anything like that, well, it's really none of my business, you know? So – I think there's kind of like s- sterile answers where I'll say, well, what could you do to distract yourself? And they're like, well, I don't know. I guess so I could read a book. And I'm like, okay, cool. Are you an avid reader? I haven't read in years. Yeah. Like, well, again,
0: they, yeah, if you're not going to do it. Then that's not uh, going to
1: distract you, right? But the, I, I, I remember on a group that we were running, we had a, a shared office space where we shared with other therapists. And one of the clients said a video game. And I said, well, great. That's an excellent distraction if it takes your attention away temporarily from the issue, right? And uh, and he described it as it was just a video game on his phone. I think it was Angry Birds or something. And he said, yeah, when I get that way, I just I pay attention to that for like three minutes and then I come back and I can think about it better. I was like, excellent. Keep mm-hmm. doing that. And then somebody in the following class, uh, another therapist or somebody else wrote, this is not a distraction next to Oh, year. yeah. Yeah, remember that? Yes. So what I'm saying is, Look, I might disagree with that as a distraction for me personally, but I can't throw my own values if if a video game is going to take their attention away, that's that's the intention of that. The intention is not like okay, well we're going to mandate that you guys all start stamp collections because that is so pro social. Like I mean, that's foolish. This should be something that they legitimately enjoy that legitimately grabs their attention. Mm-hmm. And the way he described it was he's all, I love that game and I deliberately don't play. So when I do play it, it, it is meaningful to me. And wow. like, oh, Smart. perfect. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. And then somebody to write that on the board, man, what a shit message to send to clients. So just we'll do, don't do that. Yeah, don't do anything you like. It? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that
2: therapist that wrote that was maybe conflating coping temporarily with an emotion with... A solution for the stressor, you know, and that's not what Angry Birds does mm-hmm. for that client. It is—it's not a—it's not meant as a solution. It's meant as a way to turn down the volume so that
1: you can be more effective at dealing with it. Uh, I guess that completely sailed over exactly. the other therapist's head. Exactly. So, so on this, on this, the idea of a self-control strategy is is kind of interwoven into those three steps that we said before. So. If I am dealing with negative and stressful life events, the, the steps to going through this, if I'm a client and for therapists too, I mean, you could, you could just write this down really simple. Step one is decide how I'm feeling and have some thoughtful moments about what exactly am I feeling? What is, the, what is the emotion that I'm feeling? Accept the fact that I am having an emotion and then go from there because that's going to help you determine which self-control strategy you're going to use. If you skip that step, you're not going to know what's the most appropriate self-control strategy. Step two is describe to yourself what is what happened to make you feel this way. You have to kind of know the activating event because if we continue to engage in that activating event, that's going to stress us out even more. So if that requires that I create some physical and mental distance away from that, fine. Again, that kind of dictates what we're going to do in our self-control strategy. So self, uh, step three is identify the self-control strategy strategy. The, the best self-control strategy to manage your feelings. So I go through the list that we've just given you, counting backwards, visualization, self-talk, or using a distraction, taking a break. And based on where I am in that moment, um, you pick one of those. It doesn't necessarily need to be anything that would throw you off so much that you know I'd bust out push-ups in front of a boss you know, and have an interview or something like that. Yeah, I agree with you. Don't do that. Um, do something different. Give yourself a couple of self-talk To yourself in your head while you're talking to this boss. He's not going to see that. You're not going to look like a weirdo. Easy, easier when you kind of apply those, which one am I going to use? And then step four is pick the best self-control strategy and do it. Okay. Think that through, go through with it. And again, remember what we're going after. The intent there is if I'm at a 70, I want to go to a 65. Like Jeff said, I want to turn down the volume just enough that I can think through this issue clearly and come up with a, a reasonable solution or at least bring this up to another person uh namely my therapist and have a conversation there and work through that issue. So that's kind of it in a yeah. nutshell. Or maybe that,
0: a uh You said it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Works what's for another me. what's another what's another euphemism for nutshell? Or no sorry, I, idiom for nutshell. I I for like in a nutshell. Let's see uh I don't know. Yeah. There's gotta be plenty, but g- Yeah. Well, we just talked about Five Guys in My Mouth, so I was just saying. <laughs> yeah. Not sure oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably want to come up with another one Yeah. for that. We'll so, work on it. Okay. Well, so uh, any other thoughts on this? Well, I, I, I'm good winding up. That's a pretty good place to wrap up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here comes the outro.
0: Bye. <laughs> All right. That does it for this episode of the podcast. We will be back on the next one here towards the end of June. We're going to have fellow alpha therapist Ryan Stokes on the show. We're going to be talking about coping with anniversaries and holidays. Is that what it was? Dealing with the stress that comes from that. So tune in then. See you later.